Good morning, Memphis. This is your weekly episode of Meanwhile in Memphis. You are here with me, Anna Ellis, and my friend and coworker, Christy Mullen. Good morning, Hi. Christy. Good morning. We are uh, bringing you this episode every week. Uh, we do so through the kindness of our organization, New Memphis, who gives us this platform and helps uh, do the work that we do in the community. Um, so just if, you, if you're a first-time listener, New Memphis is a local nonprofit. We are focused on making Memphis magnetic for great talents. We work to uh, develop and connect and deploy leaders all across our community. And so we thought, you know, we, we in our daily lives get to interact with all <laughs> kinds of really smart, cool, thoughtful people who are leading in these different pockets of, of Memphis and just working on really important and uh, city-changing projects. And we thought, you know what? It's so selfish that we get to have these conversations and not let everybody else in on them. So <laughs> we've used this platform to bring on uh, guests every week who are, again, just working on something that is incredible, that is changing the the shape of our city and and really forging a, a more uh, promising future for Memphis. So today is no different. Uh, we've got two fabulous individuals here. Uh, Terrence Patterson, he is the president and CEO of Memphis Education Fund, an amazing local foundation that is not just funding um, those who are sh like reshaping urban education, but really helping drive. Um, how they do their work, how they measure their work, helping connect them to other important um, leaders in the education space. So I'm excited to talk to him. It's been a minute since we've gotten to check in with our good friend, Terrence. But first, in the studio, we have Lisa Moore. Tell us a little bit about our friend Lisa Moore, Christine. She is the president and CEO of Girls, Inc. And they inspire all girls to be strong, smart, and bold. And I think it's just I just can't wait to hear you guys. I've spoken to her before. I've got to talk to her a little bit. She's hearing this intro right now. Um, and it's just, guys, you're just, hold on to your seats because you're going to get very empowered this morning. And I hope you're ready. Um, yes, Lisa is, is truly a powerhouse. Um, she, uh, we've got some, some bio notes on her and it's all very impressive. Yeah. But she has been a part of Girls Inc. in Memphis for, for many years. She's been leading as the CEO, I believe, for the last seven, seven. years. Seven, yeah, seven, um, eight. And they, and she has led them through what is some truly astounding um, expansions. So they have a really strong presence and four girls from all over the Memphis area are, are joining their programs, but they have a really strong presence in four neighborhoods. We're going to hear a little bit about um, a new big investment that they're making in yeah. Fraser. So let's get into it, Christy. What do you say? the episode. I'm ready. All right, guys. We are here with Lisa Moore, the president and CEO with Girls Inc. How are you? I'm really doing very well. Good. Love we to were, hear it. <laughs> we were just talking about earlier. I think I'm a little shocked. I yeah. was a little shocked, and that was I'm doing. I'm really doing well. Well, that's what I was going to say. You were here. You were so punctual this morning, and so you I know, think you're still amazed with yourself. Yes, it is. You know, it's it's a Monday morning, and and I don't know about y'all, but um, with coming out of the pandemic, work at home in the Zoom sitch, mm -hmm. it's like, it was like meeting, 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 meeting. I have forgotten how to bank in time for travel to yes. get to things. Yes. I'm now either uh, remarkably late or remarkably early. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's really a delicate dance to relearn mm -hmm. How to get somewhere and park and make it And exactly it how much time you need to, like, dress yourself. and like, All of, yes, all yeah. the things. So, I drive from out east to downtown where our office is, and every day I'm, like, packing a bag like I'm going on a long vacation. <laughs> <On> a <hike. laughs> you know, I'm just like, all right. 
It's good to be I'm going to be out of my house for 10 hours. What do I need? <laughs> Truly, like, I came in this morning. I had my backpack, which houses my laptop, because, yay, New Memphis has portable laptops. Mm-hmm. Then I had my shoulder bag. Then I have my lunchbox. I'm like, do you need all of these yeah, things? Yeah, no. Like, I'm, like, really coming out of the parking today? garage like a pack animal, just... <laughs> <laughs> but we're glad you made it. Yeah, we're so I, glad you know, you're here. I mean, on the dot, on time. I'm really was, proud of it myself. It was truly impressive. I, you know, I impressed myself. <laughs> it's good to do that from time to time. Well, as we noted in your introduction, you are the leader of Girls, Inc. Yes. Um, so for those listening who are not aware of just the general Girls, Inc. mission and what y'all do, give us the mm-hmm. you know elevator pitch of the organization. Sure. Uh, Girls Inc. of Memphis inspires all girls to be strong, smart, and bold. And what that means is we do hands-on, minds-on, experiential education, fun with a purpose programming that really equips girls to tap in, find their voice, and experience their power, and live healthy, educated, and independent lives. Love it. That was that was you've. Uh, she's practiced her elevator pitch. Uh, nailed it. <laughs> you've got it down. Well, I mean, that's why you. That's why you're at the top there. You, <laughs> well, I've been associated with organizations since 1988. I'm, well, I was going to so say you have you, know. you have been engaged for a long. And tell us a little bit about its history in Memphis because it is. Yes. You know. I, I assume most people have heard about Girls Inc. Whether I mean I'm a girl, so I, I certainly got to, I've had ex- that, that sort of experience. But mm-hmm. it really has such a strong brand in the community. Mm-hmm. So tell us about the history and how you guys sort of got where we are today. Yes, so we're very excited that this year we're celebrating our 75th anniversary. Wow. Uh, Lucille DeVore Tucker, who was just an incredible strong, smart, and bold woman, uh, back in 1945, traveled to Pennsylvania and experienced a girls' club up there. Um, we were originally called Girls Club of Memphis. Hmm. And uh, she was uh, a leader where she was uh, worked for New York Life Life Insurance. And she was the first woman in the 40s to make the Million Dollar Club. Ah. So she traveled to Pennsylvania, saw a girls club, and came home, went straight to Abe Plow and said, write me a check. We're doing this in Memphis. Nice. So that happened. And uh, we were founded in 1946 and have been serving girls ages 6 to 18 ever since. What's really exciting is we have a very, very uh, deep legacy with our national organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1945, the, the local affiliates formed the national organization. So it's always been very much driven by the grassroots uh, perspective. Okay. Uh, we, as local affiliates, are autonomous. Uh, we have our own board. We have our own uh, programming, our own fundraising, et cetera. Uh, but we are linked as in a sisterhood of support through our national organization, and all of us uh, vote on the national board. We vote on the, the national budget. We vote uh, every year for our policy platform, et cetera. Oh, that's so cool. I didn't mm-hmm. really like that's a... It's an affiliated network of, of a sisterhood of, of affiliates that are strong, smart, and bold across U.S. and Canada, and it's very much uh, a collaborative experience. It's not a top-down. We didn't start with a national organization and then create affiliates around the world. We, we started from the grass and worked our way up. Love it. Wow. I yeah. had no idea about that. So that's super cool. So speaking of that, starting from the grassroots kind mm-hmm. of thing, why Memphis? Like, why is this work so important for our community? Well, it's, it's important in Memphis. It's important in every community. And the reality is is that we, as, as women, uh, will run our households independently at least one point in our life, uh, either starting out our careers um, due to whatever circumstances. Uh, 52% of households in Memphis are headed by single women. Hmm. And that's a reality. So if we really want to impact the economy of, of Memphis, we have to equip our, our women, our mothers, uh, to be healthy, happy, and whole. 
And so at, at Girls Inc., where we provide that safe space, you know, and it's it's just astounding to me that in, you know, 2021, we're still talking about the first woman this and the first woman yes. that and the, the first woman of color this and the first woman of color that. It's exhausting. It, it's utterly exhausting. And, and I'm in meetings constantly, and they're like, well, what about the boys? And I'm like, you know, the boys serving organizations are, are you know, making a lot of money. And ask them. You know, we have extraordinary, extraordinary outcomes that we track on, a, on an annual basis on our girls. We know that our girls are facing barriers. Uh, we had our 75th kickoff anniversary luncheon last, uh, last month. And our, I had alum come speak, were the speakers, to talk about their experience. And, you know, and I've got a young woman, Jada Powell. She's a, a rising junior at MTSU. Mm-hmm. And she's uh, only the second woman to be the executive vice president of the university at mm-hmm. student body. And only the, the second black woman to, to have that role. And first from from Memphis, um, she is because of Girls Inc. Uh, she was a part of a STEM program that we run, and she toured the airport, went up into the the tower, the air traffic control tower. And she was like, "That's it. That's what I want to do." So she's at MT. She went to MTSU because they had an aeronautics program, mm. and she is studying aeronautics. She's the only woman in her classes, hmm. and and this is a reality that I don't think people understand. And so why is it important to be in Memphis? Why is it important for Girls Inc. to exist? Because girls are still profoundly facing barriers. You can even go back into looking at school. Black girls are overrepresented by extreme disciplinary actions at schools on the regular. This is a proven fact, starting as early as, as kindergarten. And so these are the types of advocacy efforts that our girls, when they find their voice and experience their power, when we say that, this, this is so our girls can stand up and say, this is not right. Finding out what the policies are, making sure schools are following the policies accurately. We can stand beside them and their families uh, to really make sure that they're getting all of the resources that they need, the support that they need, and they have a safe place to come and be a part of a sisterhood every day um, where they can have a safe space to just kind of be and breathe and practice those skills and then have the confidence to go out even when they're the only one uh, doing whatever they're doing. Yeah, I love that that third pillar of boldness because um, mm-hmm. it's sort of unexpected when you are, you know, rattling off a litany of things that we want girls to be smart, strong, independent. Um, but to say bold and to really say like you're gonna have to you're gonna have to sort of force your way in, I think is um, a really essential lesson. That's right. That's right. You know, and one of my favorite quotes is it's it's not enough to prepare our girls for the world. We have to prepare the world for our girls. Ah, that's nice. Like that. um, because, you know, they shouldn't have to kick the doors down all the time. It, every now and then it's nice when the door right. is open and you can just walk through. Sometimes it's nice when it's easy. You know, just, it just come on, just open the door. <laughs> You know, and this whole notion of, you know, I deserve a seat at the table, you know, it's, it's like just we build our own table and we mm. just keep stepping. And and literally our, our six to 11-year-olds built a lemonade <laughs> stand 
from scratch uh, last week. I love um, it. And raised over $350 selling li- their, the lemonade from the my, business my they started. My lemonade stands never were <laughs> that successful, let me just say. You know, <laughs> you know, and then they really made a list of all of the organizations that they thought could use some help oh. and determined that they would give their $350 to um, the Coalition for um, the Alliance for Homeless. Oh, nice. Uh, because of that's such a profound need. Nice. Um, it, we had a group of middle school girls uh, um, a couple of years ago, pre-pandemic, uh, that worked with scientists at UT um, Health Science Center to come up with an interview protocol and hit the streets and, and, and interviewed uh, the transient community about their health um, issues uh, to really identify where there were health disparities, where there were gaps, how are they accessing, what, what are their health needs and where, how are they accessing health care and found that there was a huge gap. And then they analyzed the data and presented that data back to the physicians from UT. Well, you know, Dr. Schwartz from UT was blown away. And he's like, well, you just made me a better doctor because this was incredible information I did not know. And ended up doing a TED Talk about it. Yes, he is actually, we've had him on the show fairly recently to talk about his TED Talk and that project. And it was just astounding. Right. And and so that's the kind of, those are the kinds of opportunities we provide girls at Girls Inc. Well, tell us a little bit more about the specifics of the programming. So how, what, what are the girls doing day to day? How do you guys design those programs? How has that evolved? These are big questions. I know. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Walk me through it. No, I did. Like mm-hmm. in terms of you, you talked a little bit about some of the outcomes and some of the anecdotal. That's right. Where you know I, I know some of this is um, sort of workforce development focused. So helping them explore <coughs> possible mm-hmm. careers. Mm-hmm. Tell us just again how you guys have put the programs together and what they offer. And who you serve. Sure. So we are here for all girls ages six to eighteen. Okay. And uh, it's a voluntary participation. I just missed the cutoff. Just <laughs> there you go. Just you're just the ripe old twenty year old sitting <laughs> over right. there, Amy. Exactly. That, that's right. That's right. Uh, and and where we have made a strategic decision to invest in infrastructure in four critical zip codes. So in Sherwood Forest and three eight one one one. We're in Uptown three eight one zero seven. Uh, we're going to be in South City. We're in South City, but we're going to have a new facility in South City three eight one two six. And we've been in Fraser for a long time, 38127, uh, and we're going to have a new facility uh, there. So we are investing in critical, vital community development mm-hmm. with our infrastructure so that girls that are living in zip codes that have the hardest time accessing quality programming have the easiest access. Mm. But we're there for all girls. Last year, we had girls that represented over 42 zip codes. Um, we also partner with area schools. Uh, we were in before the before the schools had to you know shut down from in person, um, and went to virtual. Uh, we went to virtual as well, but we were in over fifty schools uh, during the school day, partnering with the schools to to provide programming for girls. So how do we track what we do? How do we plan what we do? Uh, we every year we we look at we always align all of our programs around our strong, smart, and bold outcomes. We make sure every year, every age group has programming and experiences that are in our strong, smart, and bold outcome areas. And and then we talk to the community, we talk to the girls, we talk to the families, kind of what's the profound need. For example, this year we know as everyone's kind of, we were just talking about how we're having to retool ourselves, right, um, on how to go back to being in person and and going to places. You know, we're talking about children that have spent a significant percentage of their life in shutdown. Hmm. I mean, you talk about a Mm six-year-old that's been in shutdown for 18 months 
that's what 25% of their life mm. two years 25% of their life now you're bumming me out Lisa <laughs> I, I, I'm, look this She's is like, the reality I'm with the facts. you know right I'm just dropping the facts <laughs> I'm just dropping the facts you know and our, our teenagers a significant percentage of their lives have been in an isolation to a degree and so we know going back into programming we have a national curricula called mind plus body that's really about just being aware of what's going on in your body, what's stress doing, what's how to really go through some, you know, how to meditate, how to breathe, how to, what are the tips and tools, what are the coping mechanisms for when things get hard or things feel uncomfortable. So we're really going to be pushing that and doing our STEM programming and doing our economic literacy programming and doing our college prep programming with our high school girls. So we, we know what the girls need if they tell us. Uh, our families, our school partners, uh, and so we we develop a curriculum for the the year and kind of what we're going to be be providing. And then there's always the things that just you know we have spring break camp, fall break camp, summer camp where we infuse a lot. Of, we have a lot of partnerships. We did Grizzfit with the Grizzlies. Mm. You know, there's just it's a robust whole girl experience because there's no silver bullet that's going to prepare any one of us to do right. anything better than what we're doing right now. It's really a comprehensive holistic approach. And a lot of it is just providing a, a space and an environment for girls to thrive in and to really experience a bunch of things so that they can see what they like or what they don't like. Um, in terms of measuring the program, uh, we're lucky as a part of a national organization that we worked collectively with a organization, Child Trends. It's a national outcome research entity to establish how we track our outcomes. So we have an instrument that our girls take an anonymous survey every year to track, are we indeed achieving our strong, smart, and bold outcomes? And we've been doing that annual survey with our girls, 9 to 18-year-olds take that survey uh, we've been getting extraordinary outcomes for eight years now. So about year five, we were like, you know, these look really good. And we have some comparative data because some of the questions that we ask are from national surveys yeah, that are used that so we can compare. Benefit, yeah. But uh, what we did was hired uh, an organization called AIR, which is American Institutes for Research. And they did a quasi-experimental group study where four cities in our network were selected. Memphis was one of them. Uh, two, not only were our girls going to be taking that survey, and we track attendance from school, their behavior indicators from school, and their standardized test scores. So we have quantitative and self-identified mm -hmm. self yeah. self quantitative yeah. Yeah. data. And then we had a control group of girls that were at like schools that also took the survey and those quantitative indicators were tracked to. So that happened for two years. And the study just came out uh, about a year ago that found that in over 20 key areas, Girls Inc. girls were statistically significantly doing better than their peers that did not get Girls Inc. And, and those indicators included better school attendance, better school behavior, better standardized math scores, and then, like I said, over 20 of the strong, smart, and bold uh, in, in all three categories, there were, were areas where, where our girls were ex exceedingly uh, doing better than their peers, uh, So, which is a real motivator for us. We're like, yay, good for us, yeah. and woo, more girls got to get it. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, it's a big motivator for us to make sure that we, we can provide our programming to more girls. There's something about seeing that data that's just 
it makes you feel good about mm-hmm. the work you're doing. And I think hearing you speak about Girls Inc. so passionately, you focus a lot and your team focuses a lot on the whole girl. And I really believe like y'all's work is you're assisting these women, mm-hmm. but you're also teaching them to lift their own voice. A hundred percent. Which is really inspiring, quite frankly, on a mm-hmm. Tuesday morning. Yeah. <laughs> so I just want to know, we've talked a lot about it. How do girls get involved in the work if they're interested or if there's parents listening who mm-hmm. want their girls to be a part of something like this? Mm-hmm. How do they go about doing that? Well, there's there's two two quick ways. Uh, you can go to our website at girlsincmemphis.org um, or and uh, you can text 797979. 797979. Well, that was impressive, AMA. Yes. <laughs> I can remember two numbers at once. Yes. <laughs> it, is, it is a feat. It's it that 20-year-old brain of yours. Exactly. Right. Thank that's you, Christine. Right. It's fresh. Sharp and bold up here. Yes. So that's the number you type in, and then in the, the message, you just type girls, and that gets you into our texting system. And yes. so when we release uh, registration information, uh, links, uh, that type of thing, opportunities to engage. Uh, you, everyone that's in that system gets the text, and it's always on our website. Awesome. You spoke a little bit about, though, the cool new news on the horizon for you guys is the expansion in mm-hmm. Frasier. Mm-hmm. Give us all the deets. I want to hear all the things. How's it going? <laughs> What's on the horizon? I need to know. Yes, it is an exciting time. So, gosh, we've been planning for expansion in the number of girls served and investing in those four neighborhoods for for a number of years now uh, past four so we're now at a point where we've gotten our permits we've gotten um, most of the money so feel free to make a donation <laughs> do you want to clean, clean that in. campaign up you can do it you right know, here on you air can absolutely if you'd like to write me a two million dollar check we'll call it done um two dollars or two million dollars you know, no donations up. too small no, not too small not too big so uh we we are in the finalization process of getting all the contracts in place, and uh, we're hoping to start moving dirt in, in August in Fraser. We, we've owned a nine-and-a-half-acre property there uh, since the early 2000s. Um, and so when I came uh, back into the organization eight years ago, it's like, okay, it's time to, it's time to mobilize this. Yeah. And we started a, a, a really incredible example of a Girls, Inc. program. Um, our Girls Inc. Youth Farm program mm-hmm. uh, five years ago on that property with a shipping container and a porta potty and a water spigot. Such a cool project. If people have not, I mean, I, mm-hmm. when, I remember when you guys first launched it in 2015, um, and I didn't actually go to see it, I think, until like 2017. Mm-hmm. And I was, I don't know, what I was imagining was like a small backyard plot of, you know, right. some tomato plants <laughs> that I can't even grow. Um, <laughs> but to see just this really like vast operation. Very sophisticated, so like it's so cool. Yes, and, and you know everybody always feels like you have to have the Taj Mahal to start something. No, you don't. We had land, we had girls, we had a vision, yeah. and um, so we needed water and we needed storage and we needed somewhere to go to the restroom. So we got the shipping container, the water spigot, and a porta potty, and went to went to work. And and so thousands of pounds of organically grown produce and flowers and honey, so uh, cool. have 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 gone into the neighborhood into food deserts, and so. Unfortunately, in the pandemic, we had to put a pause. Uh, that and so uh, we haven't farmed uh, the last year, and we're going to be starting the construction. We want to kind of get that started before we start kind of refarming. So the exciting, the really exciting uh, plan for the property is not only will it expand. We were farming about two acres a year. We'll be able to expand up to six acres. 
wow. of, of, of organic production. Um, so we're expanding the, the farm infrastructure with greenhouse and storage, et cetera, wash, proper washing station. Uh, we're also, it's going to be a really cool facility that looks like a barn. Uh, it's a one-story, very long building that's basically <laughs> three buildings under one contiguous roof. Okay. So on the west side is the farm operations and a full program center for girls ages 6 to 18. In the center, we have a community gathering space and learning site that's got a stage, an open area that we can do programming and invite the community in, and a really cool state-of-the-art teaching kitchen where we'll literally be able to do farm-to-table education um, on healthy eating <clears throat> that our girls will learn, and then they'll teach the community, right. as they've done on one little plug-in I <laughs> so far because they've done it now they get a whole kitchen to do it um and we'll have our administration office on the the east side so yeah you guys are really focusing on those transferable skills right it's yes. what it sounds like to me so that's I mean to lack of a better word it's just super cool quite yeah. frankly yeah well you know you were you, we were talking before we went on air about how you know kind of during the pandemic everybody was taking on new skills yes. and interests and gardening was a huge one all of a sudden everybody was like maybe I need to know how to feed myself <laughs> like this might be a thing and um and and so we went virtually immediately uh upon having to kind of safe at home and our we were posting daily we have a YouTube channel and we have so go you can also go to YouTube channel there's cool programming there that was done um last year so one of the most popular YouTube channel programs uh, was how to grow things from kitchen waste. So like when you cut down all the celery and you're left with that little nub at the end, you actually can plant that and grow more celery. So um, we love a propagation moment. Little things like that. (laughs) It was it was wildly, wildly popular because it was people really getting into that. I You know, I'm that takes a lot of work. I'm not going to I did not. (laughs) grow my own food I was gonna say I was like you could grow your own celery (laughs) I I I thought that's awesome I didn't do it um but a lot of people did and it was super super cool and I admire it I'm good to keep a flower alive so I was doing good I mean I've never attempted to propagate I've seen as well videos where people take the food nubs Mm -hmm. and make things out of the these are the technical terms thank you I've never (laughs) attempted Latin for grow your own food. Um, no, I've never done that. I have propagated successfully a succulent, though, so I just, like, want to pause for a round of applause. For there you go. Very good. Okay, um, but I don't know if I'd be as successful with, like, celery or something. Well, you could. You could. Part, You're like, come to Girls, Inc. Well, it's could. true. It's true. And, and the, the, the reality is, is how many of us say all the things we can't do? Oh, I can't do that. Just oh, at me next time. I can't, <laughs> I can't do that. I'm, oh, I'm afraid. You know, and it's all rooted in fear. I'm afraid Amen. I won't do it right. I'm afraid it won't look right. We are, I don't know. Like, and who's going to be judging you in your living room? I. It, it's really an interesting dynamic that we in womanhood have to face. You know, quit saying I'm sorry and quit saying I don't do that. Oh, that's extremely and, fair, and I feel personally attacked. Well, right I'm saying it out loud to hear it myself. I have to remind myself. I went to a whole retreat in Peru and had a, a complete awakening on how I've really kept myself back by saying, oh, I don't do that. 
and then would wow. turn around and, and do it. It's like, why do I say that? And why do I do that? Why? Well, how many things have I kept myself from experiencing because I was afraid I wouldn't do it right? So a big part of Girls Inc. is reminding our girls, just give it a go. Yeah. yeah. It might not work. Like, that's life. It might not work. That one cone plant might make it and one won't. <laughs> Right. But, you know, that one tomato plant might make it and the other one might not. There is no better learning lab than learning to fail brilliantly than, you know, in life, because we all do. We all will. And that doesn't mean we are a failure. That means, okay, let's learn from that and let's move on. And that's a big part of what we do at Girls Inc. (laughs) We give them lots of opportunities to fail. But, I mean, that doesn't sound right. But it's true. You know, we we celebrate successes and we honor, you know, mistakes. And we learn from them and we move forward. Well, you're removing the fear from that failure, right? And I feel like what you guys are really striving to do and what you seem to be doing super successfully is truly giving these girls, even though they're 6 to 18, you're giving them autonomy of their own life in a way that they Mm -hmm. may not have outside of Girls, Inc. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's a very powerful thing because everything you just said resonated with me in a very big way. (laughs) And so I just want to ask a random question. Yes. My favorite kind. Okay. Um, If you had to give a piece of advice to young people and specifically young women in general, what what would you tell them? Like if you only got one shot. Yeah. Um, Honestly, what what I often say is stop worrying. It all works out. Uh, You know, we, we just expect this perfect linear kind of journey of one thing leads to the next thing that's the success thing and there is no linear journey it's a real messed up maze of intertwining this is life and so it's like don't worry it all works out I like that because it's really interesting you say that because I'm gonna just I'm so basic right now I updated my little letter board Mm -hmm, at home mm -hmm. and I'm a big proponent of saying all the time I'm guilty of saying all the time well, what if it doesn't work out? I let, to your point, fear guides me a lot of the time, and I wish it didn't. Mm-hmm. But someone, I was listening to something I can't remember what it was. It's probably a TikTok. Let's be real. It probably wasn't an academic <laughs> article. And it was like saying. I was listening to NPR. Yeah, exactly, right? That's right. what I could tell someone. But no, it was saying, you know, we focus on that so much about what if it doesn't work out. And this person's message was, but what if it does? What if it does work? And and honestly, I do believe in, and I'm, I'm the worst quote quoter ever, <laughs> but <clears throat> I mean, Nelson Mandela had a brilliant quote about, you know, like we fear like actually succeeding mm-hmm. more than, than failing. And, and I think that's something to look at too. Like what would happen if you succeeded and what would be the risk in that? It might mean that you lose family right you know it might mean you no longer fit in with the group that you're in because you're doing something right you're doing something radically different they don't understand and that's scary it's scary Mm. to be unapologetically yourself regardless of what's happening around you and one of the things that we ask in our annual survey is do you do what you think is right even if others won't think so um, and and they always say yes, and 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 that's very fulfilling to me, right? Uh, because it's hard to stand on a thin limb by yourself sometimes. But if it's who you are and it's what you believe and it's what you stand for and it's what you want to be, then go for it. Oh, so impactful. I just like don't even know where to go at this point. <laughs> 
<laughs> don't worry about it. That's Just don't worry about it. It all works out. It does. It really, it really well, does. Well, considering again what an incredible feat. Um, and you know, speaking of successes and celebrating them, um, this this new facility in Fraser, you didn't mention, but it is a sixty million dollar investment in the community, which is huge. Congratulations! I'm just really excited to see the fruits of all of that literal and figurative yes, come, yes, come yes, to yes. bear. Nice pun. Thank yes. you. Thank you. Um, is there, is, remind folks before we let you go, if yes. you want to learn more about Girls Inc., you want to get your kids involved, give us one more reminder. Absolutely. If you want to get involved or if you want to get involved, if you'd like to be a donor, yes. I'd love to give you a tour of the site and, and tell you about what we're doing. But you can you can find me, you can find us at girlsincmemphis.org. Excellent. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. guys welcome back to meanwhile in memphis we are here in studio with terrence patterson the president and ceo of memphis education fund which i better preface you may hear us refer to as mef a lot on this episode we so, love a good acronym yes. that's fine that's fine that's fine we go back and forth on yeah. whether or not it should be an ac- acronym or not but it's just so hard to like switch that thing in your brain so terrence welcome thank you for having me excited yeah. to be here how are you i'm good good to see you guys it is hot it it is, it's, I know, I, I I realize it's like Memphis in July, so yeah. like, wow, like our minds are blown, are it's hot, shocked? but it really, this week I'm like, this feels It's neat. a new hot. It feels really like we've leveled up, and I don't, I woke up this morning at 5 a.m., because I was like, I'm going to be in the office all day, mm-hmm. I'm going to like get these dogs on a nice long walk, and we walked out at 5 a.m., the sun isn't even up, and it was like 84 degrees, yeah. and just wet. <laughs> just yeah. like, I was like, you know what? Maybe this is gonna be a short one. I like exited my car in the parking garage. I'm like, do I do I want to do this? Like, do I want to go into work today? Like, I don't so know. gross. But Terrence, thank you so much for being with us. Before we dive into the work that Memphis Education Fund does and everything, tell the listeners a little bit more about you and your background. Who who are you, Terrence? <laughs> who am I? Who am I? That's a good question. Uh, <clears throat> well, I'm a native Memphian. Um, grew up here. Went away for college at Harvard. Um, I then. Worked at the Walt Disney Company in L.A. Wow. I then went to law school and business school at Northwestern in Chicago. I spent some time there practicing law, was a sports agent for a while. Um, and then I transitioned to the public sector uh, while taking a leave of absence from Kirkland and Ellis, the law firm that I was at, uh, to become the deputy chief of staff at Chicago Public Schools. And I can remember like it was yesterday, the uh, hiring attorney said, oh, you'll be back in a year yeah. after you take your leave of absence. We'll keep your office. And I called him after a year and was like, I'm not coming back. You're never going to see me again. Um, <laughs> and so shortly after that, I uh, became the uh, executive officer of new schools where I managed all of the charter schools and contract schools in Chicago. And the Hyde Foundation heard about the work I was doing, and they talked me into moving back to Memphis. And I managed their education portfolio. Um, for about five years. I then transitioned from that awesome work uh, to become uh, the youngest and first African-American president and CEO of the Downtown Memphis Commission, doing economic development here um, in the center city. And uh, education would not leave my mind. (laughs) And so uh, I transitioned back to the Memphis Education Fund, uh, where I became the CEO and president. Um, And a fun fact, when I was at the Hyde Foundation and transitioning to the Downtown Memphis Commission, I was the inaugural board chair and founder That's of right. uh, Memphis Education Fund, which was formerly uh, known as Teacher Town Memphis. That's right. That's right. And so I've always been connected to the work, um, but um, it, it it just felt like the right thing to do to continue to stay connected for the future of, of our city. 
talk about a career path. Yeah, yeah like don't don't read <laughs> don't read Terrence's <laughs> resume at the beginning of your day because like everyone's just driving to work right now, going, yeah. "What's the point?" <laughs> I give I'm, up. I'm more like my eighth you, life. Well, Every- you'd also be like, "Oh, this man's seventy years old." You're like, "No, <laughs> like he." <laughs> He looks very hydrated. He's like, <laughs> like mid forties, just like in right. shape. You're like, oh, you also have time to like work out. It's yeah. 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 Well, and, and and father of a seven year old son. Right? Uh, just keep adding to it. I know. Just yeah, keep I'll on. Stop. I'll stop. It's, no, just <laughs> so impressive. Well, good to see you guys. Though. No, it's really, really good. It's, we first of all, we will say thank you guys for coming down. Terrence has been a. He's a graduate of New Memphis's leadership programs, um, has been a board member, serves on our governors. He's just a delight. Um, and we love the work of the Memphis Education Fund. Um, I think it's a really, so unlike, well, people listening may understand what a foundation does. So oftentimes there's somebody who has a lot of money and they decide to give some of it away and they do throw through the, through the vehicle of a foundation. But Memphis Education Fund is a little bit unique in that it is bringing funds from Lots of different folks who are interested in spurring education reform, finding better outcomes for our kids. And rather than just uh, rather than just have somebody who says, I'm going to give away money and I'm going to sort of let people inspire me and decide where I want to put my money. You guys have really flipped that script and said, let's bring some experts in who really understand the space, understand what kinds of outcomes we're looking for can not just be a funder, but can really be a thought partner to the organizations that you fuel. So tell us. I mean, I, the mission of the of the organization and how you guys decide how to fund and what what that relationship what it begins with giving money, but what does it look like going forward? Yeah, no, and and Annie, you did a great job of explaining kind of what we are, and you're right. We sort of pride ourselves on being not just a funder or an investor, but also a true thought partner and education champion. Mm. Uh, so the work that we do sort of at its highest form is making sure that every child in Memphis has access to a high quality education and we are building for the future of our community. Like that is what we think about. And when we think about how we invest, we invest in community, advocacy, talent, and innovation. But our approach, as you said, is not just about flipping through pages, reading proposals, but it's a very proactive type of philanthropy. And it's a philanthropy that's also rooted in deep partnership. Mm. So we have national funders that support our work. We also have local funders that support our work. And we pride ourselves on saying, if you allocate your resources to us, the collective impact with will be significantly greater than if you invested $5 million or $10 million of your own resources but we can pull it together to create a $150 million fund. We can take a more technical approach. We have former teachers on our staff. We have former leaders at districts. We have former school leaders that have been on our staff. So we evaluate proposals, not just with a philanthropic lens, but really with a technical lens rooted in experience, rooted in research, and most importantly, it's rooted in impact. Because the way we're managing or monitoring our success is are we improving schools, are we improving student outcomes, and are we strengthening our policies and our laws so that children, students, and leaders can can truly deliver a high-quality education product? Yeah, that's that's I, I left that part out, and I think that's a really fascinating component of what you do because it isn't just trying to plug a hole in a boat. It's really trying to rebuild that boat to get right. to where we need to go. Right. Um, and we talk a lot about 
education transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, the the word for a long time was, re- and it still is, is ed reform, right? Mm-hmm. When you hear the word, and sometimes it, it scares people away. Like, oh, no, it's that's a big word. Yeah, right. yeah. Oh, that's the charter people. Or, oh, those are the people that want to privatize edu-. No, like for us, it's really rethinking the way we have done things. And I'll just use a quick example. Please. Our school system has been based on an agrarian kind of uh, template for hundreds of years. And one of the things we're really trying to think about and force people to think differently on is what does a 21st century school calendar look like? Uh, Why do we have long summers off when we don't have children and families toiling in the fields over the summer and not being able to go to school? We know that the work environment is different, so maybe instead of ending school at 2 or 3 o'clock, maybe we could go an hour longer or start an hour later. So things like that, when we think about education transformation Mm. um, and innovation is really important for us. I'm curious, I mean, if there's any silver lining to this like abysmal year um, that students and and school leaders have had to endure, just the reality that they had to, these like large institutions of public schools having to pivot and shift pretty quickly. um, I'm curious if that's opened the door as we're just thinking about education going forward, not under the pressures of a global pandemic, but do you find that uh, whether it be district level leaders, school level leaders are just more open minded to innovation or just changing the literal systems for how they've been doing this work? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we can think about our work in 2020 um, precisely with that lens. Um, the pandemic uh, and really any challenge sort of forces uh, society to innovate. Mm. And, and the two that stick out for us are one, how do you deliver education? And now I think district schools are more prone to thinking about technology and iPads or tablets as a form of delivering the education and not necessarily having a child in the school building Mm -hmm. and tied to learning. So that was one is thinking about how does technology change the way we're delivering education. And the second is, in fact, the calendar and the school year. Uh, What we realized was that we can't take a long um, time off because if you were to have a global pandemic or something that keeps kids out of the building, they're gonna suffer significant learning loss. And so we need to think about how do we restructure the calendar? Um, How do we think about summer learning opportunities, which now are optional for a lot of schools, but in the future they could potentially um, have a mandatory component to reduce the learning loss that we saw our students face with that long time out um, due to the pandemic. Technology and the calendar are two great examples, Mm. Anna, to your point, around how school leaders and systems are now more um, amenable to to making significant change. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because you guys are an organization that are very rooted in impact and change. So you spoke a little bit about that. How do you guys measure your impact? Just I'm very nerdy over here and I need I think the audience would like to know too like how what is success for you guys what does that look like how do you measure it Yeah so there there are two big big levers one is the number of students that we impact so when we think about uh, supporting a program or a project such as new leaders or relay graduate school of education or man up them mm-hmm. those are some of our talent partners we think about one the number of adults that are going through that program but how many students or children 
will that adult impact? Mm -hmm. And so we take that number and we say, okay, if there, if we're training nine teachers in the Man Up program, which is an amazing program that is tra training Patrick Washington, that's having African American, that is really grooming the next generation mm -hmm. of African American teachers. And if you think about a teacher teaching for on average three to five years and every class is about 15 to 20 students and then you multiply that impact, that's how we get to the number of students that we affect. Yeah. And we do that for each one of our grantees. Now, in some cases, we also make programmatic investments. Mm -hmm. And we think about programmatic investments. We then look on usually a, a two to three year schedule of how is student achievement being improved based on the impact of that program. Now, in some cases, um, if, we're, if we're making an investment, you can see a pretty dramatic impact after, say, one school year of test data. But what typically happens is that you need th those impacts to sort of build and build. Um, and so we look at either a two or three year lag, but we look at student outcomes, primarily um, state data, but also nationally normed data as well. Um, because one of the things that's really important to us, and it's one of our North Stars as we think about the next 10 years, we just don't want to want Memphis and Shelby County Schools to be really good in the state of Tennessee. Right. But <laughs> we're living in a global economy, mm -hmm. and so we want our schools to be among the best in the world and in the country. So we also really take great pride in those nationally normed tests, such as NAEP, where we look at um, how our students are doing against similar, similarly situated peers. Okay. Yeah. So those are kind of the two ways. Students impacted and then also student test outcomes. I like that you guys really focus on that ripple effect of like, yes, you are out having an outcome in certain pieces of your work for a teacher or teacher specific, but it's the ripple effect of all the students that one teacher can then impact. So I find that very interesting to hear you kind of touch on. If you just had to guesstimate, you might actually know the actual number, but how much has Memphis Education Fund invested in education? Yeah, over $150 million, Wow. Um, wow. Since our inception um, back in 2015. I mean, just a slightly impressive number. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and what we're really proud of is that they weren't investments made in isolation. Right. Yeah. Right. Like these are investments that were made in partnership with a growing charter school community. When we started this work, there were only about 40 charter schools. Now there are 70. And so we're continuing to push to improve the quality of those schools. And so our investments are working in partnership with the Tennessee Charter School Center and also charter leaders across the, the city. But then we're also making partnership investments with the district. Mm -hmm. um, things like New Leaders and Teach for America and Relay Graduate School of Education. These teachers are going into district schools. And, and one of the things that, that is frustrating at times is when people talk about those schools or those kids yeah. and we really take a view that it's about all of our children and all of our schools and we want to make sure that all of our schools are getting the support and the resources that they need so i know i mean it can be frustrating reshaping any system and making any you know I mean, change is iterative and you i i mean i could certainly feel this both living in memphis and just wanting for us to live into our potential <laughs> more quickly and right, um yeah. so i'm you know as you look at your most recent impact report in addition to the growth in charter schools which is a huge i think um a, a clear indication of success uh what is there any other or one or two other highlights that you're like hey this is something we can legitimately get excited about to say you know, maybe it's a small change in the right direction or maybe it's a big leap, but like what, what did you look at and that really like inspired you to get up and come back to work this morning? Yeah, <laughs> so, the and it's the most humbling. 
when we started this work and when I moved back to Memphis in 2011, uh, 2012, we were just going through a school merger mm-hmm. and then um, a subsequent separation of, of certain uh, districts. Um, we found ourselves as a district um, with more schools than any other, or, yeah, with more schools than any other district in the state that were in the bottom 5%. So out of 80 or so schools, uh, Memphis Shelby County had 69 schools that were in the bottom 5%. If you fast forward to today, and if you um, interpolate data and you, you, you project what the number of schools would be on the bottom 5% in 2020 or 2021, uh, that number is now under 30. Wow. It's like 28 or 29. And so when you ask me, like, what what is the most dramatic improvement? Yeah. We went from 69 schools on a failing list to now only 29, though we wake up every day to do the work because yeah. <laughs> a lot of those schools aren't at the top 25 percent and we're still grinding and supporting those schools. But that's a pretty awesome thing to say you helped support taking underperforming schools either in some cases supporting a current system to get better, but in others recreating a school governance situation with a charter school so that improvement um, can take place. So that's the one that sticks out. No, that's huge. Uh, I mean, going back to your sort of exponential 30 schools and just imagine how many kids have been in those schools for the past six years. So that's that's huge. Yeah. I'm so I mean, you you. You mentioned earlier when um, when Memphis Education Fund first be- became came into being, it was known as Teacher Town, which um, I really learned about the education system of Memphis through this lens because I I was I'm not an education I don't have an education background I'm like on the uh, whatever I, whatever the opposite of an education wonk is I'm like tell me more like um, so we have brilliant people on our team I'm like your education Sherpa no exactly yeah. well yeah. and I've, I've sort of just a guide to, but right. it, I I was really enlightened in like the 2015 2016 time frame to understand that Memphis truly is we say a lot as kind of a you know a, a, a grit and grind kind of mid-sized city like oh well memphis is we're really great at this or we're great at this um and it's sometimes true and it's sometimes not or you know everyone says they're great at barbecue or it's inflated it yeah. exactly <laughs> you know you just kind of but i was really intrigued to learn that we truly are um a destination when it comes to people who are innovating in the education space yeah, we are the epicenter and I, so tell us a little bit about i mean for those who are like me and and have no context here what does that mean and how did we sort of how do we come to receive that title and really earn it yeah so so it's really about collaboration and partnership and and an open open mind but all of this well this was a long time in the making um uh, you mean it didn't just happen overnight (laughs) what (laughs) no it didn't but one of the catalysts or two of the catalysts were a dramatic investment made by local partners, I think to the tune of around $30 million, and the Gates Foundation. Mm -hmm. And it was around teacher and leader effectiveness. And that was around 2008, 2009. And then shortly after that investment was made in, at the time, Memphis City Schools, the state of Tennessee won um, President Obama's race to the top application. And I think another $500 million was allocated via um, the state winning to Memphis and Shelby County Schools. And when all of those resources were allocated and the national spotlight was on Memphis, the largest district in the state of Tennessee, it won, it put a lot of pressure on us to step up and and rise to the occasion. But it also encouraged folks that were doing work in other parts of the country 
to come see what was going on in Memphis and why the investment was coming. One of the reasons it was coming was because we have awesome people. Uh, we are as talented as anyone else in the country, but we also um, have that grit and grind, I think, that just comes with uh, being a part of our, our local fabric. And so because of that investment, you had organizations like New Leaders, who had been here for maybe a decade before. You had Teach for America that had been here previously, but they wanted to double down on their support. You had national charter operators um, that had heard about the work and they wanted to come to Memphis. You had local operators like Freedom Prep, Gestalt, that wanted to grow and expand. And then again, you had a willingness from district leadership uh, that wanted to think about how we could improve schools, not just with traditional methods, but thinking about new ways, again, rooted in research um, for us to improve. So how did it happen? I think it was the people, but it was also the catalyst of significant national resources, local commitment. I think I read somewhere that Memphis is one of the most generous um, cities of its size mm -hmm. um, as compared to others what across the country. Hub. That's exactly right. Um, but then also that, that federal um, race to the top grant. And so all of that work created momentum for us to really create teacher town um, and now Memphis Education Fund so that we could continue to do that work um, once the national money goes away and when we get in our beds uh, <laughs> here in Memphis and we wake up to this heat every day, at the end of the day, it's on our shoulders. And I think that's why the work is continuing because you have philanthropic commitment, you have corporate commitment, you have community commitment. I think mm -hmm. about uh, women like Sarah Carpenter at the Memphis Lift, who wake up every day making sure that all of our grandchildren and all of our children have access to a better quality of life, right? I think about my team. I think about Ali Jaffrey. I think about Ben Doan. I think about Benjamin Friedlander, former teachers who have worked in the community that care so much that they want to make sure that every single student is getting what he or she deserves so that we can have a successful community and really a successful um, ecosystem around the country and the world. Well, it's absolutely incredible, and I, I, you you described it perfectly. And I, 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 the magic in it for for me is this committed partnership that that transcends. Hey, I care about education. I'm working in the community. It is um, this really beautiful marriage of federal money and corporate support, right? And and talent. So as you mentioned, like ex people who are exporting. Um, best practice from around the country, but also really investing in those community-based organizations that have that really intimately understand some of the unique challenges of, of education in this particular city. So, I love the work. I'm so excited. Yeah. Um, before we let you go, is there you know obviously you guys don't do a lot of programmatic work yourselves, but just as you look to this next school year, 2021, 2022. Is there anything that's like most exciting or just invigorating for you? Yeah, so so one we're really excited. We just released our impact report Very um, cool. over the over the past five years. So um, that's really exciting. I would encourage everyone to take a look at that at memphiseducationfund.org backslash impact um, to take a look at that great work. Um, I think one of our focus areas um, at the moment is really thinking about how the federal allocation of ESSER funds um, that came to states and districts as a result <clears throat> of the pandemic, um, how those funds are going to be allocated. Memphis Shelby County is going to be allocated $730 million. That's a lot of millions. Over the next yeah. 24 months. 
And so one of the things that's on our radar is ensuring that we're working with the district, we're working with community partners to make sure that those resources are allocated um, in the ways and spaces that are going to impact students the most. Um, so that's going to be something that's mm -hmm. on our radar. And I think as we think about the next decade and even the next um, three or four years, we want to make sure that we're increasing the quality of the instruction and learning time that our, our kids are facing. Um, we also want to make sure that autonomous schools are continuing to grow and we're adding more high-performing seats to our market. Um, and we and we want to make sure that there's a there's a greater understanding of how students and schools are funded and that funding is getting to the students and children that need the funding the most. So those are probably things that are on our radar uh, in addition to our excitement about our impact report. It's just all very little, little exciting. Tiny projects, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I just kind of wanted to know, so as Anna said, she's not ha she doesn't have an education background neither do I now New Memphis does our own fair share of educator work which is awesome but for those who are listening who kind of feel we want to help but we don't want to just sit on the sidelines what would your advice be to those people like how can we start to get involved and help make a difference yeah <clears throat> that's a, a really great question and I, I think there are three things that people can do perfect I love a list okay. All right. <laughs> so so number one you you need to read the local um, news um, in all medias. Educate um, yourself. Yes. <laughs> so that so that is number one because um, there are sprinkles of education work in in the news um, cycle, and we need to pay attention to it. So that that's number one. The same way we pay attention to the economy. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. Uh, number two is partner with your local school or local organization that that invest in education. And I'm not talking about like adopt a school stuff. I'm talking about go talk to the principal, ask the principal how he or she is doing, volunteer to give high fives to kids in the morning so you can understand and feel the impact that you could have on, on our community. And then the third, and I think this is the most exciting, is make sure you stay connected to organizations like Memphis Education Fund. Stay connected to Shelby County Schools um, because for all of the negative energy that you hear around the work, um, there's also a lot of positive. Mm -hmm. And if you stay connected, you follow us on social media. Um, if you come to our events, we've got a really awesome event called Eradicating the Odds coming up in September. Um, make sure you, you are following organizations such as ourselves and the district so that you also can get a firsthand understanding of what's important. So those would be the three things. You said the magic word of follow. So people that want to learn more about your work, do you guys have social media at all? Do you have a website? MemphisEducationFund.org. That's exactly yeah. right. Check out their impact report. And then on Twitter, it's at MemphisEDUFund. That's how you can follow Correct. us. Yeah, no, I think it's so awesome to have you here, Terrence. I've never gotten to meet you before, so that was super oh, exciting for me. Good, good um, I get you. to meet Easy. new people all the time. Anna assumes that I know everybody because she knows I do, everyone. Always. Anna does know everyone. Every, Anna yeah. knows everyone, and I cannot compete with that energy, okay? But um, I got to meet you today, and so I think you are a super interesting person in how you talk about the work of Memphis Education Fund and how, yes, the education landscape of Memphis is unique and inherent to us and we have these problems, but how we have those problems, we also equally have unique and beneficial solutions. And you guys are really here amping that message and doing the work, man. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. It's really awesome. <laughs> it's humbling. And, I, you know, people could work in 
New York, L.A., Chicago, London. But it, it's going to take people that are connected and committed to Memphis to really move this work. And, and when I wake up every day and I hang out with my son and his friends, like I, I, there's no other place I would rather be than Memphis, Tennessee, and, and it's for the, the reason that you just said. So thank you guys for having me. Really Thank excited. you so much for being here, yeah. Terrence. It's great to see you. Yeah, All right, well, that is your weekly dose of Memphis inspiration from our guests here at Meanwhile in Memphis. Thank you for joining us. Um, New Memphis, usually every year, we have a big celebration on 901 Day, September 1st, our own local holiday. Um, this year we have reconfigured some things just to make sure we can be as safe as possible without bringing too many people indoors. So we saved the date September 1st, 2021. We're going to be at the FedEx Forum. It is going to be what I'm calling a like city celebration block party, yes. <laughs> downtown block party outside. Lots of giveaways, including old Dominic samples, downtown hotel packages, and all day passes to the Mympho Music Festival. Um, but if you show up, it's between 5 and 6 30 we're gonna have live painting by local artist Tunky Berry live music with DJs from this very station WYXR <laughs> 91.7 FM um, plus free headshots for college students to help them launch their careers just all again like it's our way to say come celebrate Memphis discover something maybe you didn't know about Memphis get a little bit uh, more excited and just bullish about living in Memphis as we go into this next this next fall seriously and guys be on the lookout around town if you see one of our posters you will notice there is a cool QR code there. When you scan that, <laughs> the words cool QR code. First of all, I think <laughs> do QR not compute. Convenient and cool, Anna. Convenient and cool. Don't harsh it's my vibes. It's cool that they're so convenient. Thank you. Thank you. That's where I was going. Anyway, guys, as I was saying, no, I'm kidding. Um, but no, if you see our posters around town, scan that QR code. It gives you the opportunity to enter into a contest to win super cool prizes. So, be on the lookout for those and to claim that prize guess what you have to be at exposure on 901 day come just join us for a party on the plaza what do you have to lose it's so fun it's gonna be really fun it's free it's free it's free yes. why why wouldn't you so if you're especially if you're downtown uh, whether you live down here or you work down here it's so easy to just like pop over after work and come yes. all right well that's gonna wrap it up for us this week thank you for listening and we will see you next week bye guys